1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all you fine folks. On the other end of the speaker, 49ers-Rams week, let's do it. But we couldn't, I mean, we couldn't have a week in 49ers football without hot takes, stupid takes, ridiculous takes, whatever takes you want. The takes after the 49ers loss, embarrassing loss to the Broncos, have just been at an all-time peak. I mean, you've got fire Kyle Shanahan. You've got Mike McDaniel, now head coach of the Dolphins, that just lost to the Bengals, but also lost to Tua. Hopefully Tua's all right. Everything I've seen since that game says he is looked like a pretty, at least looked like a pretty nasty concussion, but I'm no doctor. But shout-out to Tua. Hope he's all right. Mike McDaniel was 3-0, now 3-1, just lost to the Bengals. Apparently, he was the real Kyle Shanahan all along. That's been another take on Twitter. Now, in, in That Takes Defense, there was a clip going around of Joe Staley talking about just how insanely important Mike McDaniel was to the 49ers process, basically saying that, Mike McDaniel creates the puzzle pieces and Kyle Shanahan puts them together in the way that they should be put together. You know, essentially um you know Mike McDaniel creates the pieces, Kyle Shanahan puts them all together and creates the thing. So, I mean, at least that take has a little bit of a defense. Maybe Mike McDaniel was very important to the Kyle Shanahan system, but at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> I just that's a tough one to buy, buy in on because you're just essentially saying Kyle Shanahan is, for the most part, worthless. He's good at putting things together, but he can't create anything, and now he doesn't have the guy that's putting things together, so we must get rid of Kyle Shanahan. So, again, silly take, silly take. And, and what's the, the crazy – and you guys have heard me mention it on this pod many times, but 99.9% of the people that have those types of takes don't even know how to draw up a single NFL play. They wouldn't even know how to draw up a power run. Maybe they could just draw up some Madden all-go shit. You know, I guess that would be technically an NFL play. But you're talking about people out there criticizing the types of plays Shanahan runs, Wednesday runs them, whatever, that don't even know what the fuck's going on in the football field. They don't even know what the offensive line just did. They don't know why the route combinations are the way they are. They don't know... Which ones are best to run against I mean I'm talking about most there are some people out there that have this information that do offer their thoughts, but the vast majority of people and it's usually the loudest don't have any idea what the hell's going on anyways, so why the hell you know it's it's silly, it's silly. you've got start Brock Purdy already mystery relevant, the last pick of the n f l draft that had a good preseason um is now to some an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, which, hey, I get it. Jimmy Garoppolo was bad, bad against the Broncos, but you get what I'm saying. Y'all don't need me to elaborate that. Come on, come on. And then the best one, the number one take of the week that just had me eye-rolling backwards to where I was looking at the back of my head hard, so hard, Was just unbelievably hard eye rolls. Just, I mean, maybe my eyes went all the way back and then came back around underneath. You know, like a full 360 eye roll. Not even humanly possible. But, I mean, if it were, that's where we'd be. Is the lip-reading Jimmy Garoppolo after he threw the what you you kind of thought was the game ceiling interception in the second-to-last drive of the game against the Broncos. You had so many people that just should be applying online. Do it online so they don't see you in person and, and instantly decline. Should be applying online to the FBI. They should be going through Spycraft because they're master lip-readers and then they know exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo said after he threw that interception. The most popular branding that the one dude that took the clip, nobody else took note of this except for one guy, said his interpretation was, your plays suck, man. That, you know, that was it. That, that was this week's headline was lip reading Jimmy Garoppolo. And that was what they took from it. Was your plays suck, man. I mean, it's just like, I wish you guys could see me right now. Like, I, my eyes are closed. I'm rubbing my forehead. It's just maybe my temples. It's just so, so annoying. <laughs> I mean, it just cannot be any more dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. Like, people that have no idea what he said. But they're just going to slap that one up there. I hope this one gets some retweets. Bam, let's send it out. And I think it did. I, I saw it the one time. I never went back to see how much traction it got. I'm sure it was a lot. But it was just so dumb. I mean, there are, literally, they're literally showing why bad NFL lip reading is so funny. Because they have no idea what that person said. And if you just look at their mouth, you can attach whatever you want to it. Turns out moving your mouth looks similar in many cases. It's unbelievable. It's dumb to act like people know what he says. Anybody. Period. Kyle Shanahan didn't know what he says. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't know what he says. But you got a bunch of people on Twitter that know what he said. And I don't, I mean, to be honest, I don't care what Jimmy Garoppolo said. He could have said Kyle's plays suck. I mean, the film would show different. I mean, we could talk about how much Kyle's plays suck while we look at half a dozen plays where Jimmy Garoppolo let a receiver run free, but we've been watching that that movie since for years. So, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo thinking Kyle's plays suck would hold about zero water, as much water as a bucket with, with a hole in the bottom. Like, it's just... It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if that is what... Jimmy Garoppolo said, which I am 99.9% sure that it's not. It wouldn't matter if he would because everybody can just look, turn on the film and look at the fact that there's hella receivers running open all the time that Jimmy Garoppolo just can't find. If, if Garoppolo was mad at anybody in that moment, you would think it would be himself. I mean, he just threw an interception into double coverage to two former 49ers players in K1 Williams and linebacker Blake Griffin. I don't think it is it Blake Griffin. His name's not Blake Griffin. That's a basketball player, right? Let me let me head on over to the Broncos roster cuz I really want to I don't know why, but I really want to figure that out right now. It's I think it's I think his first name's Griffin. Give me this. Team depth chart, a linebacker. I'm looking Jonas Griffith. Not Blake Griffin, you idiot. I love it. Jonas Griffith. Whatever. It's funny because I barely watch any basketball, but here I am. So Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception into double coverage to two 49ers players, and we think he's blaming it on Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, all right. You've got my support there, guys. I don't know. Just, I mean, it is sometimes it's just unbelievable what people come up with. I don't know. What do you guys think? I wish you guys could throw an answer back through the mic, but it just seems so stupid. The amount of things that people will pay attention to is just blah, blah, blah. Anyways, let's get moving along to the status of the 49ers before we start talking a little bit of Rams. Injuries are the big thing right now. I mean, oh, oh, so, you know, surprise, 49ers and injuries are the big thing right now, guys. I know y'all are just have your shock faces on. But yes, injuries are indeed a thing for the 49ers right now. You've got Trent Williams, who's supposed to be out probably. I mean, uh, it sounds like four to six weeks, somewhere in there. Could be more. They're trying to be careful. Uh, Defensive lineman Eric Armstead is still out. He's got plantar fasciitis, a.k.a. foot problems. Um, He hasn't been practicing this week. Maybe a little bit in limited fashion. I'd have to go check the injury report, but it doesn't. I don't get the impression that he's going to play. Usually, guys kind of. I mean, that's the thing. Like with Eric Armstead, you know, he doesn't necessarily need the practice. He, you know, they could theoretically rest him all week, see how his feet feel right before the game, and give him a go/no go. But you know, I just you just haven't gotten the impression that he's he's trending that direction. Could be completely wrong. Tied in Tyler Croft out with a knee. Tied in Ross Dwelly, rib injury. Um Aziz Al-Shair has a knee injury that's exp- I believe it's an MCL sprain that should take him out almost two months. The same injury that Elijah Mitchell suffered. That's a huge loss. Uh Al Shair's the, the number two linebacker. I consider him the number two linebacker right next to Fred Warner. I think he. Just by the eye test, I think he may be a little bit better than Dre Greenlaw, but Dre Greenlaw had a very active game against the Broncos, but then all I can think about when I think of Dre Greenlaw was that Russell Wilson scamper that kept that last drive going, and he just ran, ran right around Dre Greenlaw in no particularly quick fashion. He just ran right around him, and I was like, oh my God. Greenlaw is moving like a bag of sand. A bag of sand? Come on, man. Uh, come on, you got to know that movie. Uh, so it just, he looked so slow. And I was like, man, that's an NFL linebacker? And Russell Wilson was not moving quick. He, he's not that same Russell Wilson. So it was discouraging. So Aziz Shire is out for a couple months. Not ideal. Ty Davis-Price still not practicing with a knee injury. Uh, wide receiver Danny Gray wasn't on the practice field during the early portion portion. I mean, you got Jimmy Ward, who's another leader is still on IR. So the 49ers are getting pretty thin at some spots. I mean, when you think about Jimmy Ward and what he's done against the Rams in the past and just how he's always seemed like he's had their number. I mean, that's, that just kind of, kind of just lowers the, the, you know, the height a little bit because he just seems like. He's always so good against the Rams. But it is what it is, and that kind of plays into some of the players that we're going to talk about later, Uh, players to watch. Injuries are playing a huge deal, and, I mean, you thought Jimmy Garoppolo was bad. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay is obviously, you know, that's always been a talking point. It's, It's always been one since they were first hired, since they came up together, you know, when they first started uh tangling uh the rams kind of had the uh the upper hand and that's you know and they should have the rams had a much better roster that kyle shanahan and john Lynz were still rebuilding you know in their first four games the rams won three of them and then bam one two three four five six kyle shanahan 49ers rattle off six wins in a row against the rams but lose the one they probably would have rather had the most which was The NFC Championship game against the Rams in LA, they lost seventeen to twenty. Pretty embarrassing loss for the old Jimmy Garoppolo as well. Uh, You know, but those those six wins in a row were cool. I mean, in that span, the I mean, two of those were in 2019 when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. So it's not like to say the wins against the Rams were worthless leading up to that time. Um, But you know, obviously, if hindsight being what it is, the 49ers would have traded all those wins just to have that last one against the Rams. And, man, that was heartbreaking because the Rams went on to to beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And, you know, Kyle is 7-4 and four against McVay. Like we said, at one point he had six in a row. But who's got the ring? You know, with and that's Sean McVay and, and the Rams, they've got the ring. You know, Kyle Shanahan had to watch, or maybe he didn't watch, You know, Aaron Donald sack Burroughs and then just point to that ring finger. Give me it. You know, that was kind of a legendary moment. It's epic when you think about it from a purely neutral standpoint. But, damn, you know, that's got to really grind at Kyle Shanahan. So,
0: you
1: know, there's no, no shortage of energy when the 49ers and Rams go against them. You know, I mean, 49ers had two out of three on that last season but lost the big one. And that kind of, in a way, is a good thing when you think about this game. 49ers, hugely disappointing loss against the Broncos. Hugely disappointing loss against the Bears to start the season. Uh, Whipped the Seahawks' ass, which obviously probably felt good. But they've forgotten about that by now. They're trying to get past a Rams team that they should have beaten pretty easily. But the 49ers offense just couldn't do a damn thing other than one touchdown. I mean, we went over we went over that drive chart from that last game. Should we touch on it again? I don't think so. I don't think you all need to hear anything about that Broncos game again. But in terms of just turning yourself around, riding the ship, changing the energy, moving forward, staying focused on the task at hand, going 1-0 that week, whatever coaching cliche I can throw out at you guys, it couldn't be any better than the Rams for a few reasons, you know, I do feel like right now the Rams are pretty vulnerable. they're not playing a great brand of football right now. They are two and one, which you know is I mean it's it's the it's in the pudding, you know the proof's in the pudding if they're two and one, they're two and one, you know that's Better than the 49ers have to show for it. But there's always context. I can't remember what it was a few years ago. The 49ers, I think it was their 49ers opening game. I can't remember what it was. It was a game where the 49ers were supposed to win handedly. And it ended up being a very close win against a team that I think everybody kind of considered inferior. I wish I could remember who it was. Kind of makes the story suck. But, when I got into the elevator that takes you down to the bottom of the stadium, so you can walk to the locker room and the press room, I said to ESPN's Nick Wagner, that is a win that probably feels like a loss for this team, given the expectations. And another beat writer who I won't mention was like, Oh, I don't know, win's a win. And I kind of looked at Nick. Nick looked at me, and we're like, Well, and what's funny is the first person at the podium was Richard Sherman, and he goes, Man, that's one of those wins that feels like a loss right there. And I, I think I was happy to be sitting next to Nick in the press room, too, and I kind of nudged him. And I was like, hey, I <laughs> told you. Um, and, you know, that is kind of where the Rams are. They just barely squeaked by the Falcons. They kind of went back and forth with the Cardinals. Fal- Falcons aren't considered a good team. The Cardinals, who knows what you're getting with them right now. They seem like they're all over the place. The Rams got absolutely destroyed by the Bills. And here's what's interesting about that game and the Bills. The Falcons' defense, eh. The Arizona's defense, eh. But that Bills' defense is legit, and so is the 49ers. And then the last legit defense, and when they faced the last, their last legit defense, which was the Bills, the Rams were not good. They were not good. So I'm wondering, you know, nothing's the same when a divisional opponent walks in. You know, it's, I'm not saying that because the Bills have a good defense and because the 49ers have a good defense, that the 49ers are going to share the same success defensively against the Rams that the Bills did, completely different, different schemes, different everything. But the last time the Rams faced a solid defense, they did not do well, kind of just a generic point. Matthew Stafford managed to complete 70% of his passes, but in that process, threw one touchdown and three interceptions and had a 63.1 rating. He was sacked seven times for 49 yards by the Bills, and I would argue the 49ers have more to bring to bear on that front seven than the Bills have. So there is some hope there for the 49ers that the defense will well and truly be able to get after Matthew Stafford. I don't believe the Rams' offensive line has great pass rush protection stats. I think they're pretty poor. And, I mean, that shows. That shows. I mean, seven sacks for 50 yards in a single game is brutal.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It really will, to me, come down to can the 49ers defense keep them in this game? We just we cannot in this moment have any confidence in what the 49ers can do on offense. Now, again, it is the Rams. The 49ers are very very familiar with the Rams and what they do on defense. I mean, it works vice versa. But uh, if there's a team for the 49ers offense to bounce back against, it's this Rams and their defense that just hasn't been great. Hasn't been great. Not the Rams defense that we've come to kind of expect. In terms of completion percentage, the Rams are allowing the fourth highest in the NFL at 69%. Nice. It really is, you know, kind of a, a different defense. When you're looking at yard passing yards allowed so far, they're inside the top 10 in terms of yards, 758. Man, the Ravens, so let me see here. The the Ravens have allowed 170 yards more than anybody else. Any more passing yards than anybody else. The Rams are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They're 10th at 758 yards, and the Ravens have allowed 1,060. Damn. It's a lot. It's a lot, lot. The Rams, again, in the back half of the league in terms of passing touchdowns. I mean, it's... Their defense has not been what it needs to be. But again, you know what I'm saying. When when it's a divisional opponent, things just get weird. Things aren't, they don't travel by the mean because teams play so much differently when it comes to a divisional opponent. Now, and again, you're talking about a 49ers offense that just hasn't been firing on all cylinders it may not take a great defense to shut them down. I think that's one of the things from the Broncos game that gets kind of overlooked, is the Broncos defense is legit. Now, the 49ers should still have been able to do more than they did. The Broncos defense is really good. So, And the Rams defense is not really good. So we'll see. I mean, I know that's super hardcore analysis right there. One's good, one's not good. 49ers should be better off against the not good. But it's it just the defense... It's way it's much more beatable than it has been in the past. But you've got so many things working against the 49ers right now. We'll get into that in a little bit, in a little bit. Defense, shell of its former self in terms of the Rams. Stafford's just a little erratic, not that great. He's got a high completion percentage, which is weird. Stafford's completing over 70% of his passes right now, but he's thrown four touchdowns and five interceptions. So I mean he's negative in the, in the bank right now, and you're talking about coming off a season where he threw 41 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. So not exactly on the same page that he was on last year so far. So there is some there is some some vulnerability there. Some of the 49ers might be licking their chops a little bit. Nick Bosa, Samson Ebikam. They should be active in this game. Like we said, the Rams, have not been great at protecting Stafford. So get after it. If if the 49ers want, I mean, really, that's all it comes down to is keeping Sean McVay's offense off the field. And the 49ers want to do that. To me, it's going to come down to that pass rush. Now, we always know the secondary works hand in hand with pass rush, but just get after it. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback that has been sacked a ridiculous amount of time through three games. So, I mean, that – that and he knows that he's going up against a defensive front that is coming after him. I mean, through three games, Matt Stafford's been sacked nine times. So, what's 17 divided by three? Five so – let's just say six. Let's, I mean, it's that's, that's actually 18, but you got what I mean. So let's just say we multiply that nine sacks that stayed at that pace. What's nine times six? 50 something. I I mean, I'm forgetting my multiplication tables, (laughs) but I know nine times five is 45. So nine times six should be what? 64. No, 54. So, Hopefully, I'm not just talking out of my ass when it comes to basic multiplication and division. But I'm an art teacher. I don't like math. Give me a break. And that is, so again, going back to it, you're talking about somebody who's in the 50s in terms of total sacks per season. He had 30 last year. So, I mean, he is, Stafford is not comfortable back there. And he knows that he's going to have a 49ers defensive front coming after him that was created to come after him. If there's one unit that, you know, obviously having Eric Armstead there with may, would make a huge difference, but if there's one unit on the 49ers that haven't been, hasn't been ravaged by injuries yet, that was my knock for you guys. It's the 49ers defensive front. Samson Abukam is playing at a high level. He's been making plays. Obviously, we know what we've got from Nick Bosa. He's got four sacks in three games. It seems like the, uh, the the other guys have found a way to make a splash. Jake J- Drake Jackson got his first NFL sack. Charles Omena, who's been getting after it. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, maybe a little quiet, but he's also playing a position that is commonly quiet. But to me, he's one guy. I'll get into him later. We, we, we've got a little bit about him. So in terms of the Rams, I would say that's probably their most vulnerable point on the entire team is that offensive front and the 49ers' ability to rush the pass. But the Rams are vulnerable, but so are the 49ers. Who house maybe a top five player in the NFL and Trent Williams. And he is out for this game. And he's out for the next five or six games, I would presume. So you've got no Trent Williams, which automatically the moment he steps on the field, Jimmy Garoppolo is aware that Trent Williams is not watching his blind side. I'm, I'm assuming that Jimmy Garoppolo's clock in terms of when he has to throw is going to be even more sped up than it's ever been because he knows that right behind him could be a, a Rams defensive, a Rams defender, a Rams defensive lineman. Because that ain't no Trent Williams. That is the Colton McKivitts back there now. So whatever feeling that gives you, I'm assuming for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not going to be a great one. Then you've got, you've you've taken Trent Williams out of the mix. The anchor of that line, that was probably the only thing holding together given Mike McGlinchey's been inconsistent and the interior O-line's been struggling and it's young and inexperienced. Aaron Banks at left guard, second year player, essentially a rookie given he didn't play last year. Then you've got, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Give it. I know you're yelling it to me on the other side of the line, Spencer Burford. Yeah, Spencer Burford. I was thinking. I was like, Samson Imbucom. No, Spencer Burford. Rookie, genuine rookie. I, I I I remember when somebody talked to me about saying genuine. I like saying genuine. I guess it was a rapper too, but genuine. I like genuine. Just it's from a movie too. Anyways. Now, the one weird caveat to this offensive line. So let's, let's go through it all. You've got Colton McKivitz, who's going to be playing left tackle in lieu of Trent Williams. Huge confidence booster there. Then you've got Aaron, Aaron Banks, second-year player, essentially a rookie, at left guard. You've got Jake Brendel, veteran offensive lineman journeyman at center. You've got Spencer Burford at right guard. And you've got Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. There is not a player on that offensive line that Jimmy Garoppolo is comfortable behind. There's not a whole lot of confidence going around when it comes to that offensive line. So when we're talking about how how vulnerable the Rams' offensive front is, I can't say that the 49ers are much better off, if at all. The only difference is Jimmy Garoppolo is known for throwing the ball before anybody has a chance to get out of their break. So... Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's going to be out of there at times. But, man, it is tough to get excited about that 49ers offense. It is tough to envision Kyle Shanahan turning that offensive round when that offensive line looks like that. How could he? I mean, that's, it's partly his making. They've been making the draft picks. But it's just like, damn. Like, I am assuming that the 49ers will be throwing a lot of short passes. A lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage, get guys in space, you know, extending the run game to all the way out to the sidelines, you know, by throwing out those screens. Get the ball out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands and let's try and rely on that line as little as we can. So I mean, the the only slight positive is Daniel Brunskill returned to practice this week, who, as we all know, is the Aaron Donald Slayer. By some miracle of football evolution, Daniel Brunskill has just, who's decidedly average, has just had incredible games against Aaron Donald. I say incredible. They've probably just been good. But anybody that does just good against the likes of Aaron Donald is doing great. <laughs> so Daniel Brunskill's I don't know. Do they, do they put him at center and Jake Brandle takes a seat? Do they? I don't know where Daniel Brunskill plugs in. I would say I don't think he's good enough to where he's like he has to play. But, again, he, he has done pretty well against that Aaron Donald guy. So I don't know. I don't know. So things aren't. All sunshine and rainbows for the 49ers, nowhere close to it. You're talking about a unit that just looked absolutely horrible against the Broncos, needing to improve, but having to improve with a pretty iffy offensive line, we'll see. Maybe they've got that underdog group, like it's us against the world, and they'll just play great, but damn, that's going to be tough for Jimmy Garoppolo, who already has happy feet, to sit behind that line and and do what he's got to do. Players to watch. My players to watch in the game. Players that I think that are going to be, they're not just obvious, they are going to sway the game one way or another. Or are players that I think might have a surprising impact. And obviously, number one has to be, has to be Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just like, it has to be, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy that just shit the bed in every way, shape, and form against the Broncos. It was, I mean, you're talking about a guy that stepped out of the back of the end zone for a, his own end zone for a safety while simultaneously throwing a pick six. And then went on to throw another interception later into double coverage by two former 49ers players, one of them not named Blake Griffin. I mean, it was an, all, uh, an all-timer for James. He has to be the player to watch. One, he's been pretty good against the Rams. Wasn't good in that last game, but it is what it is. He's he's typically done pretty well against the Rams, and he's going to have to do better than what he did against the Broncos if the 49ers want to have a chance. I'm assuming the defense is going to keep the 49ers in it, but Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm sorry, man. I know you're behind that offensive line. But you and your boy Kyle have got to find a way to make it work. And that, to me, is, you know, a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo's success is going to come down to Kyle Shanahan and the adjustments he's willing to make to not only compensate for this offensive line, but compensate for Jimmy Garoppolo's shortcomings in this offense. Like, you can't, and I don't know, Kyle Shanahan may have made all kinds kinds of adjustments all kinds of adjustments for for Jimmy that we don't know about, and Jimmy still ain't getting it, but we'll see. Obviously, my first player to watch is Garoppolo because, I mean, it's going to come down to him. I feel like it's going to come down to him. I mean, he's the quarterback that may be saying, I know it's obvious, I know it's an easy choice, but damn, after that performance against the Broncos, all eyes are going to be on him and and what. Every mistake means, and it's it's going to be brutal. And hopefully, he finds a way to to rise to the occasion on Monday night in front of everybody. My second player to watch, Diamador Lenore, who surprisingly beat out Sam rookie Sam Womack for the nickel job out of nowhere the, before the Broncos game. Like Sam, that was Sam Womack's job. By all intents and purposes, he was doing pretty well. Um, he had had a tremendous preseason, earned that job. Uh, and then all of a sudden, bam, here's Diamondor Lenore. Kyle Shannon said he had a great practice, and here he goes. And I believe, I thought I saw something on Twitter today talking about how well Amador Lenore has done since stepping in. I mean, I thought it was only that one game, but. So I mean, you're talking about a, a, a second year player that just stepped into the job, one of the hardest positions on defense in that nickel corner spot. everything's a two-way go. you know the receiver gets a little bit of a bump back because he's in the slot, and it's going to be cooper cup and Cooper cup is is the Rams offense Let me get his stats up. I should have already had him up, but I mean, you're talking about just like. Cooper Cup is to the Rams what Debo Samuel was to the 49ers at the end of last year. In three games, this man has 28 catches for 280 yards and three touchdowns. That's averaging just less than 100 yards a game and a touchdown per, you know, that's 100 yards, almost 100 yards and one touchdown per game. Average. Those are big time numbers, baby. Big time. So, and that is Diamandor and Lenore's task. And I think the Rams are going to be perfectly content to plop Cooper Cup down right in front of Diamandor Lenore because the 49ers perimeter corners, Daniel Mosley and Charvarius Ward are great. They've been playing great. So they're going to match Cup up against Lenore as often as they can and say, all right, let's see what you got. And then we head back to Nick Bosa and Samson Abukam like, hey, uh, get in there because Lenore is fighting for his life out here. And he may rise to the occasion. But, I mean, who has, against Cup, risen to the occasion? That dude has just been putting up numbers after numbers after numbers after numbers. numbers. So that's my second player to watch is the Lenore. Like, I mean, he has a monumental task in front of him. And that's where that absence of Jimmy Ward kind of gets a little weird. Because there was a time last season where the 49ers were bringing Jimmy Ward down to cover Cooper Cup in the slot. He was rising to the occasion, and that tells you how good and versatile Jimmy Ward is. But now you've got Diamandor Lenore in there who knows what he's facing in Cup. That'll be an interesting mashup to watch. Diamandor and Lenore, my second player to watch. My third player to watch, already talked about him, Colton McKivitz. You are stepping in for one of the best players in the NFL at one of the most important positions in the NFL for a veteran quarterback that just may have played his worst game of his life, probably not. It may be an exaggeration, but it did seem that bad when we were watching it. Trying to keep this team from going one and three, and you've got and you you got command of uh Jimmy Garoppolo's backside. Like, damn. I mean, the pressure is on for Mr. McKibitz. Doesn't Mr. McKibitz sound like a Disney character or something? Either that or some type of new Netflix serial killer series, Mr. McKivitz But that guy's stepping in for Trent, Trent Williams. He's going to be a bright and shining spotlight. I mean, maybe he's not because the 49ers seem like they have so many spotlights on the offensive line that a defensive front can take advantage of. But Colton McKivitz has got to be the number one on their list. And they're going to come after him like crazy. And Jimmy Garoppolo is going to know they're coming after him like crazy. And he is going to want to throw that football as fast as humanly possible. So, man, my number three player to watch, Colton McKivitz. Because, boy, it's on you, buddy. (laughs) Jimmy Garoppolo also has been horrendous under pressure this season. So, good luck, guys. My fourth player to watch, Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw. I mean... For obvious reasons. One, for his own intents and purposes, like, this needs to be a huge, huge season for him. He, now, you know, is he... When I, when I, I was just right now going to look up his stats, just to see, uh, you know, on a base how he's been doing. And then I'm seeing injury reports that he was not in practice. I'm figuring... I'm, I'm figuring this out in front of you guys. Was sidelined from practice on Thursday with a knee condition. Interesting. I don't know how I missed that. Which is significant for Kinlaw, given, given he's getting over. He, this was, you know, he it was almost talked about as if this was his first year where he was going to be able to move past those knees. So yeah, now, now I've landed on Matt Mayoko's site and yeah. So now, I mean, I guess that makes him even more of a player to watch. I mean, he could not play at all and that obviously takes him out of the running, but damn, if those knees are coming back after Kinlaw, that was the one thing that he had hoped he'd moved beyond this year were those knee conditions. I mean, when he came out of college, I know some players didn't even have him on their draft board because of those knee conditions. The 49ers like they've always had a habit of doing, took a little bit of a risk when they drafted him. So, Devon Kinlaw was my fourth player to watch because I didn't necessarily expect Eric Armstead to play. Kinlaw is going to have to hold down the middle of that that defensive front, and I feel like the Rams are going to do everything they can to limit Nick Bosa, which would open up opportunities for Kinlaw. But, shit, I mean, if Kinlaw sat out of practice today, I don't know why I didn't catch that on the list of players that are injured but man that's uh that's significant right there that is something to keep an eye on for the game is kinlaw's status can he can he play are they resting him or is he, is his status in the game truly up to risk and then my last player to watch going back to the offense uh george kittle george kittle made his first game had his first game back against the uh broncos uh, got targeted 5 times caught 4 of them but only for 28 yards was largely a non-factor in the passing game and, um, I mean, I'm sure he was a, a huge factor in the run game. But you're talking about, again, Jimmy Garoppolo's not going to have a lot of time. He's going to want to get the ball out quickly. Kittle's going to be one of his closest and quickest targets on a consistent basis. The 49ers have got to get him involved. He's had a big game against the Rams in the past. He know, Obviously, Kittle's going to rise to the occasion in terms of energy. But 49ers have got to get him more involved. Both Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk had eight targets. I would I would venture to say that maybe subtract one of them for both of them and give it to Kittle. I would be perfectly fine with Debo Ayuk and Kittle all sharing about an equal share of targets in terms of the pass game. They're just all so they're all very threatening players. They can all make big plays. So I mean, I, I obviously we know what Debo Samuel does, but he's getting those extra touches in the run game, which have also seemed a little less effective as of late. I mean, the dude got five touches for six yards against the Broncos. they Man, those didn't go anywhere. So get Kittle the ball. He's going to be a a force in the run game. We know he's going to be one of the huge elements that determines how well the 49ers run the ball. But get him involved in the passing game more, especially in a game where Jimmy Garoppolo may not have very much time. Get it to Kittle. Hit him over and over. It's just, you know, it's obvious. It's obvious. Kittle's just that good. And it seems like in moments when the 49ers need something, Kittle can be that guy. And that, to me, should be every third down. Not that they need to throw it to Kittle every third down. That's not what I'm saying. But Kittle's a go-to guy in a pressure situation. And, I mean, you're talking about an offense that would 1 of 10 on third down against the Broncos. Maybe on third down, throw it to Kittle a little bit more. Or, you know, if you're going to throw it to Kittle, don't ignore wide-open players. We broke that down this week. I'm sure some of y'all caught it. But it just seems to me like Kittle should be making more plays. Not up to me to determine how that happens, but get Kittle more involved, especially in a game where we don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a whole lot of time. But, hey, that's it for me. Man, I'm kind of jaded by that Javon Kinloff thing. I didn't catch throughout the week. Now everybody listening knows um, you know, I'm a teacher and a football coach, so that's about a 7.30 to 5.30 job right there. And you miss some things, you know, you just aren't tuned into the old Twitter stratosphere as much as you would like to be because I'm babysitting 12, 13, 14 year olds. So, um, hopefully, uh, we'll see how that Kinlaw injury plays out because that's a, that's a big deal, especially if Eric Armstead still can't play. You down Armstead and Kittle. Oof. excuse me. I said Kittle Kinlaw. That's that's rough. All right, guys. Hey, Monday night, Monday night. Reminds me of a time, I want to say six, seven years ago. 49ers played, I want to say it was the Rams, Thursday night. And I was, I was a member of a 49ers Facebook group. Pretty big one. And the 49ers uh, Thursday night football game rolls around. I believe they won. Then on Sunday, one of the 49ers fans in this group posts up. I think I still have the screenshot saved somewhere. I saved it as like the greatest screenshot of all time. Posts up like got my my game gear on, foods in the oven, ready to ready for the game today on Sunday. And the 49ers had already played on Thursday and the replies were just brutal. This man got incinerated because it was clear that not only did he not watch the game on Thursday. He didn't even know the 49ers played on Thursday and was hella ready for that game come Sunday morning. So, I mean, damn. I got to find that screenshot. I think I literally saved it as greatest screenshot of all time. Anyways, I appreciate it, y'all. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. Please jump out there, whatever app you're listening to the podcast. Leave us a positive review, five star review. If you believe in it, if you feel it in your heart, make sure you're subscribed, you're listening, you're downloading, you're passing it on to friends, just supporting the pod in whatever way you can. I would appreciate it. Y'all know how it is. Um, without you guys, this ain't going nowhere. Uh, Rams, Monday night should be one hell of a game. Hopefully, the 49ers can claw their way back to two and two because one and three is pretty gross. And pretty dismal. Oh, you know what? I'm going to leave you with one positive nugget from our very own KP Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. The 49ers have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL, and wait for it, have a 49 percent chance of making the playoffs. That's all you need to hear. That's all you need to hear. Easiest schedule, 49 percent chance. It's fate. It's fate. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the pod. But hey, for another episode. Hey, we'll be back on here uh, Monday night. I'll record Monday night. You'll hear it Tuesday morning. That's the next time you will hear from my beautiful, my beautiful voice. All right, appreciate you guys for another episode. I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold, and we're signing out.